Yes, for the 99th or 100th time tonight, you're hearing this song. Um, enough. It was, it was a funny bit. The second period, the crowd ate it up. Yes. I really enjoyed the variations of it, right? It was just the same song over and over, which was funny, but I love the mashups and the ones where it was two different songs, like Eminem, Adele. That was, that was pretty creative. I, I actually, I think I went through the stages of torture with it. Because, like, did you? Not did like, you have Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah. Like, it was by, you, by the end, you were I was like, a fan? By the end, I was like, oh, this is funny now. That's like that's the whole point. They beat you to death. Yeah. They beat out the criticism, and then you're in. And I'll tell you what. They, I don't think they've done a bit like that since the Nickelback episode from several years ago. Were yeah. you still in Cedar Park when they did that? Uh, I was. They played Nickelback, what, like 12 consecutive times? I was technically on the AHL beat, but it was actually a game I was up here for. Okay. So, so you remember it, but yes. it, I don't think they've done it since. Correct. So that, you know, they, they, they went to an oldie but goodie there. Yes. And uh, to, to, top, to tie it all together was uh, Jamie Benn's uh, post-game availability where he tells us that the fans were, that, the, uh, that it was a smash-mouth win and the fans were all-stars in overtime. Just couldn't, couldn't resist himself, could he? Yes. And then we asked him if how we asked him how long he had uh, been planning that one. He said he just made it up. So I saw the clip briefly that they showed on TV that somebody gifted and tweeted. Not a single chuckle in the scrum. Like nobody gave him the courtesy laugh to encourage him. I mean, it was like deadpan. There was no. There was no courtesy. I mean, there no was. Humor. There was a couple of people in the back, in the back of the scrum. I don't. I guess the camera didn't pick up on it, who you could see chuckling. Um, but I was where I was. I kind of gave Jamie the kind of you give me the eye roll. Baby. Yeah, I, I kind of gave him the what the hell look because uh, stars win and shootout, big division game. Couldn't have given him give the captain. He's trying to be like encourage him. If you want more of that, oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Right, but if you want more of that in the scrum, I think you need to give him a, a hearty guffaw. Not laughing. Even a even a mild. <laughs> you could even machine gun it, like uh, some of the play-by-play guys in the NFL that had, the ticket gives out. Had I said that, had I said something like that, you would have I, you would have been groaning at me. We don't need you to make more jokes. <laughs> we want Jamie, who is very serious in the media scrum and very silly outside of media scrum, to. Oh, I agree. I agree. Bring more of funny Jamie. I agree. Into the, into the team. Why don't we have some of the other media members who are there laugh as well? Since I'm well, you're the only one that's in the car with me, so I can't uh, remonstrate them. So we'll do that at a later date. Fair enough. The uh, so Stars win tonight in the uh, game where the first since the NHL is gone, but at least the first ever five on three power play in NHL history. I find that so hard since, to believe since it's gone to three on three. Um, but again, maybe referees are hesitant to call a second minor on a, and, and well, frankly, four on three. A lot of times it goes in. You talk about hesitancy too, though. I mean. About understanding the situation, Dan Hamhuis. Not that it would have really changed the game that much, because but Dan Hamhuis basically, since he knew he was getting one already, he then basically Whoa. proceeded to beat the crap out of Philip Forsberg. Okay, so Hamhuis probably thought that he wasn't going to get called for a cross check simply because it's already four and three in overtime, so mm -hmm. the the leeway is stretched a bit. Yes. Then I thought after that he started going after Forsberg just to try to see. Well, if that, he that's, that's, that's what he was I trying to do. I think it was do. an intentional that, that, move. No, it's, it's, it's intentional. 
exactly. But it's it's if you think about the letter and of Forsberg the rule, was laughing yeah. the whole yeah. time because he knew what was happening, yeah. and he looked it looked like he was almost saying to the ref, "Look, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to get that penalty." Yeah, look, by the rule, theoretically, Dan could have gotten a second minor. For sure. That, in theory, and that's what I'm saying. We talk about being conservative and not making that call. Um, but they kill the penalties. Um, Really, I, mean, I, I, wrote, I wrote a story about this, um, and it's it's one of those things where it's hard because it's it's one game, and I don't want to get overly reliant on the results of one game. But tonight was the reason they signed Martin Hansen. You look at yeah. you look at the game tonight. This was the reason that Jim Nill is watching from his box and saying that's why I went and got Martin Hansel this summer. That's what he, he said. Yeah, and, and you had it, it actually worked well where. I know the first thing people say is, oh, well, we, we don't want Hansel to take Fox's minutes. Fox had more minutes than Hansel tonight. Fox had 18-12, I believe, and Hansel had 16-15. kept going back to that Fox line, too. Yeah. And it was when the Stars needed, and I don't I don't know if Hansel, when he gets fully healthy, um, I guess I won't use the word buy-in since Hitch told me I can't use the word buy-in anymore. But he said you can't use it or you shouldn't use it. No, he just said it was... Uh, overrated? He said it was an overrated word. He also um, doesn't like the word creativity. Yeah. So... It's, I'm sure every word we've said on this podcast has been blacklisted at some point by Hitch. Um, but <laughs> the if, I don't know if it, if it can if it's a role that Hansel can accept once he's fully healthy because Hansel is still getting back to speed from everything he's been going through. Um, but if he if Hansel can be happy with and buy into, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to play I'm going to play 16 minutes a night. I'm going to be on the penalty kill. And if power, you, play. power play. If, if, if you get a spot where Sagan gets 20 minutes, Foxa gets 18, Hansel gets 16, and all of a sudden Jamie Ben you can you can move Ben you can move Jamie Ben back to the wing. I mean, just oh, in theory. In, right. in theory, all of a sudden you've got a setting there where you can it, it works it works well without stealing the minutes from Fox. And maybe tonight was a temp. I mean, it's it's so hard with how much Hitch juggles lines, but and. And maybe I'm getting over-wrapped up in the results of one game. But that's what we have to talk about right now. And this could have been the model or the, the template to say, look, this is how it can work with Hansel and Fox together. Yes, I'll give you that. I have little to add on that because you've said everything that can be said. <laughs> so with that, we'll move on. Yes. <laughs> the uh, Stars tonight did something that they haven't done against top teams in the Central Division. The, uh, they were 0-6 against the top three teams in the Central so far. And not only did they win, they came back from down 2-0. That's, that's a plus, because after the second goal, shorthanded, it looked like it could be a very short-slash-long night. It looked like the game could be over early and could be just a drag fest. And that's why the Sagan goal was so big, because had Sagan not scored the next goal, if the Stars hadn't scored to make it 2-1, if it goes 3-0, I think it's over. Agreed. I mean, it was. So I mean, that was that was the turning point in the hockey game. And it was. I mean, it's to give you an idea of how it, it's, it's a pessimistic view of it. When, after um, the first goal by Nashville, 34 seconds into the game, I jokingly turned. I said, I was sitting next to Matt Pryor, who does some good work for the hockey writers tonight. I was sitting next to him, and I turned to him and I said, Matt, well, you can pack up and go because they uh, they let up the, they let up the first goal, and they're playing the backup goalie. Yeah. <laughs> There's your storyline. And, and there was, and if you looked at it from a pessimistic view, for you knew exactly how the game was going to end, and they it didn't end that way, which is big for this team because now they've won back-to-back -back games against Central Division teams. They actually have points in four straight games, and you're feeling 
You're feeling somewhat good heading into this holiday break. A lot better than Minnesota probably feels losing a 0-0 game less than three minutes ago to Tampa and losing three to nothing. Just yeah. going to say, it's the yeah. next opponent for the Stars, and they go into the break having lost two in a row. The Stars go in having won two in a row and feeling much better about themselves. And by the way, before that, the last two games, Dallas and Minnesota and Chicago are all tied. Yes. So the Stars have made, created a four-point gap on the Wild since Thursday. And the Stars now, not only are they, it's the games played still has to come into play because Nashville's played three, uh, played three less games. But you actually look at it, they're going to the Christmas break and they're only two points technically behind the division leader. But three, sorry, three points behind because of the extra point that Nashville picked up tonight. In right. But even so, it would have been, if Nashville doesn't get that point, St. Louis, who's playing still, I think, yeah. at the, as we record this, they're still playing. The Jets lost, so they're at 46. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's just clogged, but three points from the top three in the division, look, there's a lot of hockey. Oh, yeah. Still more than half yes. the season to go, but, yeah, putting themselves in a much better spot than they were a couple weeks ago. Yes. Hansel talked touched on Hansel. The other players that were, and even before, um, they were good the other night. We talked about them the other night, but it's it's been interesting just to kind of see how much better, and, how, and maybe we're noticing them because we're looking for them, but how much more of an impact Pattern and Hampus continue to have for this team as well. Yeah, and they uh, they've played well. I thought the. I don't want to rip too much on the referees tonight. I don't like to do that normally, but I, I was really disappointed with the pattern tripping penalty. That was a bad call. It was not. I mean, the, the referee's positioning was where he usually is, which is in that corner, but it was in directly in line with pattern and then, uh, was it Arvidsson? It was Arvidsson and fell. Well, yeah. He fell, but I could understand from his vantage point, he might have... It might have looked like he made contact. There was no contact, but unfortunately, you can't challenge that because if they could, they would have looked at the re replay and said, yep, no power play. That's yeah. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, that was a bad call. Uh, but the one that actually hurt the Stars the most was Ratchelot's high stick, and that's, uh, look, he worked so hard. He was falling down. His stick came up and caught Subban in the mouth. It's, it, you have to live with it because he's such a great player. Yeah. But, boy... Well, he is a tough one, and he missed a sitter in the third period, which could have won the game yeah. outright. And Rad which would have been made up for the high stick. Well, and Radulov gets called for that, and somehow the uh, Pitlick gets high sticked in the face yes. in that game, and just gets completely pretty blatantly, and nothing's called. Um, and we're not trying to blame. I mean, it's, I think you have to look at calls. You have to try to look at calls in the vacuum. It's weird it's, that yeah. Nashville, who is the look, both teams are in the top ten. In time shorthanded, mm -hmm. Nashville is the the outright leader by a lot. They have a 150 times shorthanded this year, which is the most in the NHL by a good margin. Stars, I think, came into the the game tonight at seventh, mm -hmm. which is too high. But four power plays for the Dallas Stars in the first period, zero the rest of the way, and four the rest of the way for Nashville, including two in overtime. It's just a strange way to divvy out. Yeah. It ended up being even penalties in the game. Yeah, and it goes into it. It does feel like sometimes referees try to even things up. It's almost a natural tendency, which is you and I have talked about when they're doing that. Oh, it's making it's, a decision they don't have to. Yes. Yep. Um, so you just call a game. If one team is undisciplined and takes seven, the other team takes zero, it seems unfair, but that's because somebody's breaking the rules. It's, yes. It's not the referee's job to even it out. Correct. And the other, 
But we, we, we're getting on that too much. Yeah, we're, get, we're getting on that too really much. what ultimately won the story. Tell you what, though, Sean, the, the story of that overtime, was, which is disappointing because it ruined overtime, mm-hmm. was a thrilling penalty kill by the story. I mean, just a yeah. fabulous job. And I said this on the post-game radio show, which I know maybe is being overly critical, but I thought Nashville made a mistake in not finding a way to get a whistle after Jamie Ben came out of the box because because of the rules it was five on three and then when Ben comes out it's five on four and then if there was a whistle it goes back to four on three correct and they would have had a much it's much harder to score five on four than four on three and it was over a minute I think it was like a minute twenty when Ben came out of the penalty box yes and if if somebody on Nashville was really alert. I mean, flip the puck in the stands, get a whistle, tie them up somehow, because they, I think they would have had a better chance to win the hockey game if they had another minute plus of four on three. Yeah, and you also take a look at the, uh, it was, I mean, the, the four on three, in this overtime we had a, we had three on three, you had four on three, you had four on four, you had five on three, you had, everything. you had a little bit of everything. I haven't seen four on four in overtime in a while. Yeah. Not since they played four on four in overtime in a was not nearly as much fun as this is. Yes. But anyway, fine, whatever, but I just thought that that would have been, a, you know, for the Texas area where football is a big thing, you'll see really heads-up players who could run into the end zone, fall down at the, the one-yard line to end the game, even if it means not getting points or a touchdown because you can run out the clock. And that would have been the kind of heads-up play of, hey, we could have more four-on-three. Yeah, but whatever. But from the Stars' perspective, it did make it easier for them to get through that last minute because, yeah. like I said, they didn't give Nashville a quality scoring chance on that 5 on 4 It's just a lot easier to kill. Yeah, and also the other thing that was big tonight, and it was particular, and I went back and chat tracked it to take a look to make sure. One thing that was big tonight for the Stars, um, and sometimes it gets overplayed. It just depends on, I think it's situational. Because looking at the raw numbers, sometimes face faceoffs I'm talking. Sure. Faceoffs in general are important, but I think sometimes it gets overplayed because it's what you do afterwards. But tonight, it's also timing. Yes. Tonight, the stars during the time they were shorthanded, there was five faceoffs. They won four of them. Which, which is, if you think about the time you're winning the faceoff and you take it and clear it out or you do something, that's killing seven or eight seconds alone. It's funny because. As we watched the game tonight, without looking at the stats, it felt like Dallas lost a lot of key faceoffs. Mm-hmm. Lost some when they started a power play and lost 25, 30 seconds. In regulation. In regulation. Yeah, yeah. Felt like they were losing them when Nashville had their power plays all of a sudden they're set up in the zone. And yet, you go and look at the end result, and they dominated faceoffs and situationally, both on the power play and short end. It just, it, it, it didn't equate to what perception we had, but it was, yeah. Well, very good. I mean, the most important thing about the face-off is not winning or losing, it's what you do once. Right. If you win yes. the face-off and then turn the puck over in your zone, it doesn't do much for it you. It doesn't help you much. And on the flip side, if you lose the face-off, but you get a good forecheck in and force a turnover, well, and win it back. Yeah. Right, it, it so, works both ways. So, but just, so I, I don't care about what they did. I mean, I know Hansel was 13 and won 13, lost 5, so Hagen actually did the same thing. But I look at the key times when they were in their defensive zone and they needed draws, they did that tonight. Right. There are, um, not all face-offs are created equal. No, not at all. Um, then, we haven't even touched on the shootout. You, take, you go to the shootout and it was... Uh, 
One thing that I think the Stars actually have an asset in, um, I think Ben Bishop is actually comes into play. We haven't talked about him in this press. Ben Bishop is actually a very good shootout goalie. No, he's not actually. He's a really good yes. shootout. And it's because of two reasons for that I see. One is he's just big. You yes. take up a lot of net, so there's not much just to look at to begin with. But I think it's his poise. He is so composed in the net. And I've seen it in practice. And I mentioned it to him a while ago, maybe late October, early November, and as he said, well, he kind of brushed it off. He said, you know, it's easy to be relaxed in practice. But he does the same thing in game in these shootouts where it looks like he never makes the first move. Ever. And he's just waiting and and players run out of options. And it, it's funny, this is something that I actually broke this down about Bishop the other day in my mailbag. The only weakness he ever has in, in a shootout, even when he's having, if he's off his game, and when he is overactive in a shootout, he sometimes opens the five hole up a little bit because right. he gets a little bit overactive with his stick. But even then, even even in that case, he's still, the rest of his body is completely composed and he's still big. And he like, keeps himself big. He doesn't... Yeah punch his shoulders down and give up the top corners of the net, which I think is by design. Yes. He knows that if he stays with a, you know, upright torso, he takes up a ton of the net. And he has the leg, because he's so tall, he can he can stick a leg out late and cover the bottom of the net, almost post to post, I'm sure. Yes. He did his job. He stopped both shots. Um, Radulov scores, scores, scores a uh, pretty goal on his, uh, his move. Backhander. Um, I mean, Alexander Radulov. I think we forget he has a forehand sometimes because he wants to play the puck backhand every single time. <laughs> He's just so good at it. Like, um, and then Sagan, obviously, with the uh, the, the game winner on, on his chance in, in round three. Uh, it was. I asked Ben Bishop about it after the game if he cares whether this team shoots first or second. He didn't care. He said it's, it's nice. He said, I guess it's not something he thinks overly about. So I guess it's nice to get a chance maybe to go for the win when your team shoots when your team shoots uh, first. But I pose that to you real quick. If you're a coach, do you want to shoot first? Do you want what's what's your thought on that? Well, it's interesting because in one sense, if you shoot first, you put the pressure on them. If you score, Radloff scores. Now every shooter, starting with Philip Forsberg and beyond has to score to try to keep his team in the game. And for Ben Bishop, it takes the pressure off. Hey, my team's already in the lead. If I give up this goal, we're not losing. We're in the worst case scenario is we're tied again. So it, I think that I like the aggressiveness of going for it. I really like that because I want my shooter, if I was the coach, to be to make a strong, aggressive move, go for something he knows is good, and that's what I'm doing, right? I'm not going to mess around with doing something super skillful, but I'm not really comfortable with it. If I'm good with it, you know, it's going to be a strong move that gives me a good chance to at least get a scoring opportunity. So I like that. And I, if you if you say I'm going to shoot second, then you're sort of at the mercy of your goalie. If the goalie makes a save, then you say, okay, well, we have a chance. But no, I, I like, I want to be on the front foot. I, I think that's... That's a good way to do it. Personally, I don't understand why, if you have the choice, you don't shoot first every time. Because I, I look at it this way, where you know, you at least you in theory think your goalie is mentally tough. In, in theory, you. How well, for just the fact that you give yourself a chance to be in the lead? Exactly. And no. And I, and Whereas I, if you shoot second, the best you can do after the f first shooter is it's still zero zero. Mm -hmm. And so for me, 
I feel like it's better to be in front in this instance. No, and we're on the same page yeah. here, and I, I'm agreeing with you. And my point is just you expect your goalie to be mentally tough. You expect your goalie to understand that he, his job, even throughout his job, is based determines the results of the game, yep. even not in the shootout. So him facing a shot with the game on the line shouldn't be a big deal. You don't know if every shooter has that mentality to be, I have to score here. To, I, I just think it opens up, it puts less pressure on your shooters to go out and to be the first shooter. To be the yes, first shooter, absolutely. Yes. I mean, we are both big soccer fans. We've watched tons of penalty shootouts, which I can't stand. Again, I'm not a big fan of it as a deciding factor of a team sport in hockey or in in soccer, but I understand that watching it is entertaining. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, to me, uh, represent a team result. No, that being said, watching shooters when they have the game on the line, uh, meaning on a negative way, if you don't score, you lose. Not if you score this, you win, but if you don't score, you lose. It really tests the nerves. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, I think that is a big thing. And so if you can put your opposition in a nervy, anxious situation, it may give you a better chance for them to not produce their best effort offensively. Mm -hmm. so I would, I would say yes. Plus, it puts a lot of pressure on the other team's goalie. Hey, you better make a save, otherwise your shooters are going to be behind. Mm -hmm. Last thing to kind of wrap everything up here, with as, as we wrap up the car cast, with uh, stars going to this this three-day break, which I think, just from a media perspective, is great because we get three days of actual off time. Right. Instead of <laughs> instead of three non-game days where we're at practice and still covering things, this is a clean slate of don't go to the rink day. Yes, and on top we of that, all like that. On top of that, there's a roster freeze too, so it's not like Jim can go make a trade while we're. Uh... That's right. <laughs> the roster freeze is great for the players because then they can go to their holiday. Break and not worry about that because nothing would. I think that might be the worst uh, is getting traded on oh, Christmas yeah. or finding out you're getting sent down or whatever it is. So I think that's a really good negotiating decision from everybody. Yes. So it's. I didn't really have a good point. I was just basically bringing that up. <laughs> just want to say it's nice not to have to go to work. Yeah, it's nice to have a couple days off. Um, I will say. I, I will actually throw this one to you real quick. You don't even, we didn't break it down intensively, but just because I recorded another podcast this morning with Ryan for our World Junior preview that goes out tomorrow, just for just to get to uh, if you were to because that's the only hockey that actually played during this break. Give me a uh, quick World Junior pick for your uh, one through three. Ooh, well, I, this is a little bit skewed now because I spent a bit of time talking to our special guest Todd Harvey about this. He is pretty high on the Americans, but he said that the U18, the 17s, are better than the 18s of the U.S. because there's a couple of national development program clubs, and he thinks that they're even better, the younger group is better than the older group for the Americans. So um, I'm going to stick with my national pride, even though it may be more heart. I'll go USA, Canada, Sweden is my top three. Very good. With very little homework done on that prediction, yes. by the way. You? I, I, well, mine, I'm going to tease this so people actually listen to the other one. Oh. I, I put my picks in the other uh, podcast that actually comes out tomorrow with my uh, viewing guide where we've got... Uh, Who's your dark horse? Did you talk about that? Uh, yeah, my dark horse is the... I, I, I think the... I'm not calling them a dark horse because people are high on them, but um, 
I think the Finns could do more than people are expecting. Just yeah, because and I'd of, love to see Miro Heiskanen yes. play at that and so stage. So they're not really a dark horse per se, but I think they could be. Uh, they could be a team to watch there. Be interesting um, to see Sean too about Heiskanen just quickly is the fact that he's been playing in the Finnish senior league mm -hmm. against grown men. Yes. Now he plays against other kids his age. Obviously, the speed will be fast, but can he take advantage of playing against some guys that maybe aren't as polished? It was, all, all really talented. But. We saw that with Guryanov last year when he played there with Team Russia. Dennis Guryanov played mm -hmm. against his peers. Um, he had, and, he, and he's having a, he actually scored tonight in the AHL on a side note, but um, he played against his peers, and I still look at that as a positive that, look, he's... We still have to remember he's young and he's progressing, but when he played against his own age More group, patience he, than he, people want to have. He, he looked good. Um, that's all I've got, everyone. Um, happy holidays. We will uh, be back with next Thursday? Next Friday, I believe. Friday. Yes. St. Louis Blues. St. Louis 29th. Blues. 29th. And the block shot city between Pitch and Mike Yo. Yes. So... It could be the uh, it could be the final deciding game between uh, Julius Hunk and Stephen Johns for who stays in the lineup. Who Ooh, knows? That's true. We'll see. Mark, Mark Mathot is uh, the earliest he could return based on what Hitch was talking about was the 31st against the Sharks. Yes. So, everyone, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah for those that celebrated it earlier this week. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. And uh, we will be back next week.